Our scripture reading today is Luke 6, 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who has dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Jesus says that people are houses. And at the end of his teaching in Luke chapter 6, He gives each one of us, you and I, a warning that we are all in grave danger of ending up like that house. Uh, Jesus addresses this warning uh, first and foremost to people inside of the community that he's building, Not, not to those outside, but to those who are inside of it. And he says that each and every one of us is at the risk of being self deceived to the point where we can say, Lord, Lord, to Jesus but actually not do what he says. That that we can know a lot, that we can have a lot of information about the Bible, a lot of information about God, but not truly know and obey him. Not really and truly build our lives on him. And if you're here this morning and you have been skeptical of Christianity, maybe you're here with a spouse or a parent and and you have some deep doubts about Christianity, this might be one of the reasons why is that you look around at people who call themselves Christians, who call Jesus Lord, but who are bitter and angry or racist or uncharitable or tight-fisted or self-righteous or critical or impatient. And, And you've looked at those lives and you've concluded that Christianity doesn't actually change people. Or at least it doesn't change them for the better. But Jesus points out here there's a reason for that, that that it's possible to to listen to him without actually hearing him, that it's possible to call him Lord, but not actually build your life on him. That it's possible to call him Lord, but to build your life on something other than the foundation of hearing and doing what he says. Because the house is only as good as the foundation. It doesn't matter how impressive the house looks above ground, right? If the foundation underneath is crumbling, if it's built on a sinkhole like so many houses in Florida right now, this is a major problem. They've been built and the ground underneath them is collapsing out from underneath them. If the foundation is not good, it does not matter how beautiful the house is above ground. And right, it's not always readily apparent how stable the foundation actually is. You have to inspect it. You have to look at it. You have to really study it because when the weather is nice and dry, just about any foundation will do. But when the storms come, when there are floods, you better hope that you have inspected the foundation. And and everything I've said here about building in the 21st century was the same in the first century in Jesus' day, right? It was easy to build a house on the topsoil without digging down to the bedrock, but everyone knew if you don't dig down to the bedrock, your house is just a ticking time bomb. 
And in this section of Luke, we've been talking about the kind of community that Jesus is building. We've been talking about what are Jesus' people to be known for? What makes them different? And Jesus has been teaching us in this whole chapter in Luke chapter 6 about, about these things. And this is how he finishes that sermon, that message. He says, just like a house is only as good as its foundation, so is a life. Essentially, he's saying, my people will be known for their foundations. And so the question for this morning for us is this, is where are we building our lives? Where are we building our lives? And when's the last time we even really pause to ask that question, to really inspect the foundations of our lives? Jesus knows, right? And we know how easy it is to get caught up in, in striving for good grades or performing on a team at school or building our career or, or whatever it is and not actually pause to ask the question, what am I really hoping for here? What am I really aiming? What is my life for? Why do I do anything at all? What is this life that I'm constructing, this, this day-to-day routine that I'm going, what is it really built on? And that's why Jesus, after everything he has said in this message, he ends with what's really at the bottom of his whole teaching. And he says, look, look at the foundation." And build your life on the right foundation. Because if you don't do that, the results are disastrous. And you may not even know it until it's too late. So what makes for a good foundation in life? Well, here's how Jesus puts it. Let's read from Luke chapter 6 once more. But I want to read it for us in the message paraphrase. Because I think if you've been around church a lot, this is one of those texts of Scripture that it's easy to sort of almost not hear because you've heard it so often. So listen to these words from Jesus afresh in the message. Jesus says this, Why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir. But never doing a thing I tell you. These words I speak to you, they are not mere additions to your life, homeowners' improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work the words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug down deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. When the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. And it was a total loss. And Jesus sets this image up and he's so clear that we cannot miss it. That The difference between the two houses is not in what can be seen from the outside, what can be seen from the surface. Because as far as we know from the text, right, the, the roofs are the same on these houses. The appliances inside are the same. The paint is the same. The layout is the same. The difference between the houses cannot be seen on the outside. The difference is in what cannot be seen, the hidden part, the secret part, below the surface. What foundation are you building on? And how do you build on the right one? As we look at this this metaphor of these two houses that Jesus given us this morning, we're going to see three things here. And the first is this, is if we want to build our life on, on the right foundation, we have to build on attentive hearing 
not hurried distractive. Attentive listening, not hurried distraction. And Jesus sets up this whole metaphor of the two houses in verse 47 with these words. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. Everyone who hears my words. See, if you're going to build on the right foundation, you have to hear Jesus' words. If you're going to build on the right foundation, you have to hear what Jesus has said, his words. And our lives are shaped by words. Every single day we are bombarded with and our lives are shaped by words. Right? With messages, information, ideas, stories, not to mention the constant, incessant inner dialogue that we all have with one another. Our lives are formed and shaped by words from the moment that we wake up. And let me just, let me try to show you what I mean by that. If you just, let's just walk through your day together for a moment. Probably for many of us, our day begins with the alarm on our smartphone going off at our bedside table. And maybe for some of us, that means just hopping uh, right out of bed. Others, maybe we hit the snooze button a few times. But regardless, what's the first thing we do after we stop hitting the snooze button? We look at the news alerts that are on our phone that have come in overnight. The, the president's done something outrageous again, right? The, the coronavirus is spreading. The uh, stock market is tanking. There's been a shooting in Westport. The very first words that we see are these news headlines. And, and then often then we go and we open up our inbox and then we scroll our social media feed all of these messages, these words coming pouring in, and your feet haven't even hit the floor yet. You, you, floor, floor, you get floor yet. Haven't even hit the floor yet. You have not even been able to have a cup of coffee, and already you are hit with words, with messages and stories that are causing fear, worry, anxiety, envy, frustration, discontentment. And then after a long day of, of rushing through work from one thing to the next, of taking care of kids, of preparing for meals, you collapse onto the couch to watch whatever show it is that you watch. You turn on your, your Game of Thrones or your old episode of Friends or Gilmore Girls or if you're really masochistic, cable news for the evening. And you spend a couple of hours on the couch just soaking in lust and violence and relationship drama. And that's just on the cable news. <laughs> Before collapsing into bed to do it all over again. And friends, that is a life of hurried distraction. A pattern of life, a set of habits that is actively preventing, actively working against you ever being able to hear Jesus' words. So many of us have that pattern, and it is preventing us from hearing Jesus' words. Uh, and here's a rhythm that you might try. Uh, maybe you commit to doing this during this, we're now in the season of Lent. Maybe you kind of do this during the season of Lent. Maybe you just give it a try for a few days or a week. Uh, it's up to you, but just figure out, experiment with this. In this season, try that practice of Scripture before phone every day. Instead of starting your day by scrolling a news feed, by looking at news alerts, what if you started every single day for Lent or for next week 
with the Gospel of Luke. And I did, I did a little math this week, and if you just set a timer for five minutes and read the Gospel of Luke for five minutes each day, you could read through the whole Gospel easily in, in a month. And, and why even suggest that, setting the timer for five minutes rather than reading the whole chapter? There's some really long chapters in Luke, so just read for five minutes. And if you did that every single day, you'd easily get through the Gospel of Luke in a month, starting with Jesus' words. Read for five minutes and then set another five-minute timer just to, however this works best for you, but to, to pray about what you've read. Maybe you jot down uh, a verse in a journal that was impactful to you. Maybe you journal out some thoughts. But if you started 10 minutes your day, five minutes of hearing Jesus' words in Luke, five minutes of talking to God about what you read, how much different, how much different would your day be? How much different would your week be? How much different would your life be? And we often talk, and, and, and rightly, in Christian community about loving Jesus. We want to love Jesus. But if we ever really stop to ask the question, well, what does it mean to love? Like, how do we love Jesus? What does it mean to love him? And one of my favorite definitions of love is that love is focused attention. That love is focused attention. And in a culture of hurry and distraction, it's hard to love anyone with focused attention, much less someone like Jesus that we can't actually see with our eyes physically. But I assure you, it is worth it to try, to put in the effort to love Jesus with focused attention a uh, French philosopher, Simone Vielle, uh, who wrote a lot about love and attention. And, you know, I don't know that she ever became a follower of Jesus, but she was very thoughtful about Christianity. And, and she made this observation. She says, even if our efforts of attention seem for years to be producing no results, one day a light that is an exact proportion to them will flood the soul. In other words, don't give up. Don't give up on, on striving to give Jesus focused attention, being attentive to the words that he's speaking. Now, merely hearing Jesus' words, just listening to them is not enough. You can have information without transformation, and, and more on that next. But listen to me, hear me please. If you know anything else, Know the words of Jesus because if you do not know what Jesus has said, if you have not listened to his voice, if you're not giving yourself to a life of attentively listening to his voice, you will end up like a house with no foundation, just waiting to collapse when the storm comes. Where are you building your life? Next, if we want to build well, we need to build on active practice. Active practice, not passive learning. Active practice, not passive learning. This is the second key reality that Jesus mentions in verse 47. Again, as he's saying this, it says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. Not everyone who just hears my words, period. Everyone who hears my words and does them, I will show you what that person is like. It's not just those who hear Jesus' words, it's the person who hears them and then in faith steps out and says, I'm going to do my best to do what you said, Jesus, to obey you, to stand 
firm on you and what you've taught. It's the person who hears and does who is the person who stands firm in the storm, in the flood. Now, there's a great danger for us in our culture where we routinely, in our cultural conception of learning, separate knowledge from practice, information from transformation, hearing from doing. In the way that our culture and the way it's been shaped by the Enlightenment and all these things, we are so easily, say we can know something without being able to, to do it. You can know something, memorize something, having known it for a test, but not actually know how to do it in real life, or know it for a test and then completely forget about it later. That's why you get that old cliche in our culture, right? That those who can't do, teach. Now, all of you teachers out in the room know that's a bunch of baloney, but it's our conception of knowledge as a culture that allows that cliche to exist, that it's possible to know something without being able to actually do it. But for Jesus and in the Hebrew conception of knowledge, that's just not even a category, right? To know is to do. To do is to know. To hear is to do. And it reminds me of one of the best novels I've read in a long, long time. It's a a fantasy story, a fairy story that's set in the 1800s in England. Uh, It's maybe not the genre for everyone. It's a very long book, but it's by Susanna Clarke, a brilliant novel. Uh, called Jonathan Strange and Mr. Gnarl. I can't, there's a BBC uh, television miniseries I can't vouch for. I haven't seen any of it. But the book begins with a meeting of the York Society of Magicians. And all of the members are theoretical musicians. Not one of them has ever cast a spell for no magic has been done in England for over 200 years. But all of this is about to change. The theoretical musicians of York are about to meet Mr. Narl, who by his own account is a very tolerable, practical musician, uh, magician. And these theoretical magicians, they've read books about magic. They know the history and all the debates about magical methods and procedures, but they have never cast a spell. They have never actually done any magic. And I wonder, I've thought to myself this week, I wonder how many of us, how often so many of us, myself included, end up living as theoretical Christians rather than practical Christians. Because there's such a big difference between knowing about something having information about something, and actually having practiced and learned to do a skill, right? How many of us, right, have have watched that YouTube video on how to hang drywall or how to decorate those cupcakes to look like a ladybug and then actually gone to try to do it? So you can't say, I know how to do that just because I've watched a YouTube video. It takes lots and lots of practice. And this is what the spiritual disciplines are all about. The practices, the habits, that's what they're all about. They are not, don't misunderstand, they are not about earning or gaining merit or favor with Jesus. He loves you as much as he could possibly love you. No amount of spiritual discipline is going to make him love you more. But these practices, these habits, they connect us to him. They are the hard work of digging down deep. In that metaphor, how do we dig down deep? through the practices. That's how we dig and build our lives on Jesus. It's all about disciplined effort, not about earning. And it's not big, huge, grand things either. It's about starting small, right where you are, in your home, with your family, right? Jesus calls us to love our neighbor, to uh, love God supremely, 
And sometimes we, we have these imaginations about these massive things that that would entail, but just start first and love your coworker who sits next to you in the cubicle. Practice loving the children that God has placed in your home. Work on forgiving the roommate who lives in your house with you. For the little things, for not loading the dishwasher how you like, or for waking you up when they come home late. Right, the person who starts training with a five-pound weight or a 10-pound weight will, with consistent practice and training, eventually be able to lift 20 and 30, 50, even more weight. But the person who only lifts the remote control will never be able to lift anything at all. If you're interested in kind of developing the habits and practices that lead to that kind of transformation of life, um, Rachel and I are actually putting together a little short class on that that'll be happening soon, and you'll be hearing more about that. But just some things that we're learning and practicing about how do you kind of shape a life of following Jesus at the, at the practice level. Now let's be clear too, this kind of training, this active practice that Jesus calls us to, it does require sacrifice, requires saying no to some things, giving up some things to get other things. But again, again, it is worth it. It is worth the effort. Because here's the thing that I think we sometimes miss is that there is a cost either way. It's not as though we have uh, this life with Jesus and we said there's a cost to discipleship, but just staying on my current path of life doesn't cost me anything. No, there is a cost either way. A life of discipleship to Jesus, yes, it costs us something, but so does a life of non-discipleship. No one puts this better than Dallas Willard. He writes, non-discipleship costs abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in light of God's overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs exactly the abundance of life that Jesus said he came to bring. Or as Jesus put it in the metaphor here, it costs a life, a house, there's a total loss when the floods come. Where are we building our lives? Okay, so a life that is built to last, to withstand the flood, it's built on attentive hearing, not hurried distraction. It's built on active practice, not just passive learning. But there's one more piece, and it's actually the key to this whole thing. We cannot miss this. This is, this is actually the, the most important thing for all of this this morning. One more piece here, and this is the key. A life that is built to last is built on living relationship, not dead religion. It's built on living relationship, not dead religion. And this is the very first thing that Jesus says in verse 47. Everyone who what? Comes to me and hears my words and does them. But everyone who comes to me, who is the house that is built to last? The one who comes to me, Jesus says, Jesus is the foundation. He is the foundation. 
His life, his work, his death, his resurrection, his victory over sin and death, his covering of our shame, that is the foundation, the only foundation on which we can build a life that will last. And again, Jesus is speaking to his new community, warning them about the danger of dead religious observance because it is possible to have information without relationship. To do a bunch of activity in your own strength without trusting and loving and being loved in a vital relationship with Jesus. Because again, the two houses, they look the same on the surface. Right? Two people can go to church. Two people can pray. Two people can read the Bible. Two people can serve in their work, in their community, in their church. But those two people can do those things for very different reasons and in a very different source of power. And as Jesus is shockingly and stunningly clear in the metaphor with two very different results. Friends, Jesus is the new and better temple building. He is the foundation. And we are being built together on him into a place where he dwells and no one and nothing will ever be able to shake us where we are motivated by love, not by guilt or fear or shame, where we work in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own feeble strength or willpower. Jesus was the cornerstone who was rejected so that we could be made into living stones, built on him into a place where he dwells, where nothing will ever be able to shake you. Where are you building your life? pray. Father in heaven, I just ask now that you would show us, show me the places where I'm building on clay and sand where I haven't dug down deep to the bedrock of Jesus in my own life. And would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who's the, the only one who can energize effort that connects us to you, would he empower us to do what we feel is impossible on our own. To obey you, to hear your voice, to be in living, vital relationship with you. Would you do that for us now? Would you do that afresh for each one here? We pray this in Jesus' name, the name of our firm foundation, and by the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to obey him. We pray this all in his name. Amen.